Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Morning, everyone. Hear me all right? It's great to be here for Tom's baptism, not Ben's. So if you're a guest with us, that brilliant to see you here this morning. If you're a guest for any other reason, it is lovely to have you with us. My name's Dave. I work with Matt to uh, lead this gathering. Uh, so it's Easter Sunday, so I'm going to be speaking for 25 minutes or so about the resurrection. But to start with, could you stick your hand in the air if you've seen the play or you've watched the film Les Miserables? Great. I was kind of hoping lots of people would have seen it. If you haven't seen the story, don't worry, I'll explain it to you. It's a story about a man called Jean Valjean, and he starts the story in prison, and he's been imprisoned for stealing a loaf of bread to feed his starving family. And he's in prison for 19 years, and then he gets released. When he's released, he's given a document to carry that says, this is a dangerous man. So he finds it impossible to find a job or find anywhere to live, and he ends up sleeping rough. And then one of the nights he's sleeping rough, a priest comes across him and takes Valjean into a local church where he can get some food and he can get a bed to sleep in. In the church, there is loads and loads of precious silver. So Valjean sees an opportunity. He thinks, I'm going to steal all this precious silver. I can sell it, make some money, and start my life afresh. But... He gets captured by the police. He tries to lie and get his way out of it and saying, no, no, the priest gave me this silver and the police don't believe him. And Valjean gets dragged before the priest. And this will prove to be a momentous event in Valjean's life. Because the priest here has kind of got, um, he's got a decision to make about whether he sends Valjean back to prison or he does something else. And the priest chooses to go along with Valjean's lie. The priest says, yeah, I I gave him the silver. In fact, you left so early this morning, Valjean, you forgot these. And he goes and gets two more precious bits of silver and gives it to Valjean. And Valjean is, is stunned. He's like, I've just gotten away with this crime. The priest has let me off. Valjean has been shown forgiveness by the priest. He could have sent him to prison, but instead he sets him free with this bounty of silver to use to live a new life. And that's what he does. That's what the rest of the story is about. This this pivotal moment, this momentous event transforms the rest of Valjean's life. And he lives out this new life trying to be gracious and merciful towards the people he comes across. It's a great story. And I think it's one that we can resonate with. Not because our life is a musical, although sometimes we wish it were. (laughs) But when I look at my life, I see moments that are like this moment that Valjean has, this momentous event that leads to my life being transformed. So I was thinking about this, where are the moments in my life? And one of them is when I was 10 years old, my parents got divorced, and that transformed the way that I lived as a teenager. It transformed my relationships with my parents, it transformed how my personality and my character developed. Some of you are now like, ah, now we get it. Then, when I was 20 years old, I was almost killed in a, a car accident. I was knocked down by a car. And that was an event that it changed my perspective on life and what the meaning of life was. And it made me start asking questions about God for the first time. 
And then a few months ago, aged 27, um, my wife and I had our first baby. And the birth is a momentous, harrowing, traumatic event. <laughs> and it leads to transformation, because now we have Sophie in our life. And it leads to, we love a new person in the world and we care for her. And so you see how an event transforms our lives. So just take a moment and think, what momentous events have happened in your life and how has your life been transformed by them? So for some of you, it might have been getting a new job or it might have been being made redundant. For others of you, it might have been having a child or it might have been the tragic side of it where you lose a close family member. For some, it was leaving home and moving to a new city. For others, going to university. Just think about how those, those, those moments changed your life and transformed your life. Your character probably changed. The people you were friends with probably changed. And the values, what you valued in life, probably shifted. Because we all live through, we all experience these momentous events. And they transform who we are and they transform how we live. So today is Easter Sunday. It's a day we're reminded of the resurrection of Jesus. For some of you, this might be a story that you know uh, really well. And you've heard it lots and lots of times. But maybe, therefore, it's lost some of its life-changing impact. For others of you, this might be one of two kind of stories from the Christian faith that you dial into each year, the other one being Christmas, and you enjoy the tradition and you enjoy kind of the celebration around Easter and the chocolate, but you're not quite sure what relevance Easter Sunday has to your life today. And for, other of you, for others of you, you're like, I've never heard of the resurrection of Jesus before and I don't know what you're talking about. But what I want to show today is kind of wherever you sit on that spectrum of how much you know about the resurrection, regardless of what else has happened in your life, regardless of what other events have happened, the resurrection is the most momentous event that has ever happened. And it's the one that can completely transform your entire life. If there's any event in history you should pay attention to, it's the resurrection. That's quite a big claim. So what I want to do today is I want to look at the story. What are we told happens? And then I want to look at the impact it brings. What transformation does the resurrection have? We're going to look at the story that Matt read to us earlier from Matthew 28. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 28, verse 1. If not, don't worry. The verses will be on the screen behind me. And we're going to go through this story and see what happens. So the story begins after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. So this is Sunday morning. Jesus was crucified three days earlier on the Friday. And Jesus' followers are in a state of shock and mourning and grieving because their leader, their teacher, their friend hasn't just died. He's been brutally tortured and murdered three days earlier. And so the women who were closest to Jesus, they just want to go to the tomb and they want to mourn and they want to weep and they want to try and anoint his body with spices as that was the custom at the time. But when they arrive at the tomb, they're met with a crazy dramatic scene. Verses two through four, there was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid, so there were two Roman guards standing outside the tomb. They're so afraid that they shook, and they became like dead men. This scene, is it's as though both heaven and earth want to grab our attention. Heaven sends down an angel, and the earth violently quakes. It's as though both heaven and earth are saying, this is a big deal, and we need to pay attention to it. 
Then we hear from the angel why this event is so big. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, because you can imagine they're pretty terrified at this point. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Great thought. Why is the tomb opened? It's not to let Jesus out. It's to let the disciples in to see that Jesus, Jesus isn't in there anymore. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, now I have told you. So the angel tells the women, there's no body here because Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has returned to life. It's important to say this isn't a resuscitation as though Jesus didn't actually die on the cross and then he went into the tomb and he was just waiting for somebody to pump his chest and then he springs back to life. Jesus had died three days earlier. He had been, his heart had stopped, his brain had switched off, no life signs for three days. He's put in a tomb, and now the angel is saying, he is alive again. This is something that is impossible. This is a miracle from God. And the angel says, not only has Jesus risen, he's going to appear to you and show himself to his followers. He's going to prove to you that he is alive again. You're going to be able to see him. You're going to be able to touch his body and see that he is really alive. You're going to be able to verify this news is true. So this isn't a mythical, legendary resurrection. This is not just a spiritual resurrection either, as though Jesus was just a spirit. This is a physical, bodily resurrection. And Jesus is going to show himself to his followers Verse 8, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. So you can can imagine these women running away from the tomb, partly afraid because they're like, what the heck has just happened? Kind of asking each of the questions, did you, okay, I just saw an angel that spoke to me. Did you see that as well? Because otherwise I've just gone mad. But they're filled with joy because they're like, well, what the angel said is amazing news, but is anybody going to believe us? Are they just going to think we've gone insane? So they're running away, and then they run right into the risen Jesus. Verses 9 and 10. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Now, I cannot imagine Jesus saying that without a cheeky grin on his face. I'm like, surprise, weren't expecting me. Greetings, he said. They came to him, and they clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see him. They clasped his feet. You can imagine them holding on, being like, are you really there? Like digging their nails in, trying to work out if it's him. And also being like, don't go anywhere because I don't want this to just be a hallucination. But he tells them, don't worry. You don't need to fear. Go and tell my disciples. So the women go to the others. We're going to pick up the story in Luke's account of the resurrection now. So if you've got a Bible, flip over to Luke chapter 24. Again, it will be on the screen behind me. Verses 9 to 11. When the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because it seemed to them like nonsense. So the guys, they hear back from the women, they're like, this is a load of rubbish. Either the women are so in grief that they've made up this story to make themselves feel better, or they've gone mad, and they they have actually seen a hallucination. They don't believe the women. What they are not expecting is Jesus to walk right into the middle of the room that they're standing in and reveal himself to them as well. But that is exactly what happens later on that same day. 
verse 36 to 43. While they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost or they saw a ghost. So they're like, man, whatever happened to the women is just happening to us now. What did we eat last night? <laughs> and he says, why are you so troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at the holes where they pierced me with the nails. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, basically, this is too good to be true, therefore it cannot be happening, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broad fish. He took it and ate in their presence. So they're startled, they're frightened. They think he's a ghost and he says, I'm not a ghost, touch me. It's a physical body, touch my hands and my feet. Then they disbelieve because they think it's too good to be true. So Jesus is like, okay, you need more proof. Let's have a meal. You got some salmon? Let's have some salmon. Let's eat. I'll give you more proof that I'm really here because a ghost doesn't eat food. Jesus is determined to make sure his followers know that it is true that he has risen from the dead, that he has overcome death and he is alive again. He wants to give them proof that it is real. This story is, is huge. If this was simply a work of fiction, it would still be a creative classic. But the fact that this story is true makes it the most intriguing, history-changing, life-impacting story ever told. As I said at the beginning, this is the biggest story ever. This is the most momentous event ever. This is the pivotal moment on which a life can be totally transformed. But why do I say that? What does the resurrection mean for us today? What does it mean for Tom? What does it mean for everybody in the room? How can it transform our lives? Well, there are three things I want to say on this. That the resurrection means that we can be forgiven and we can have a relationship with God. That wouldn't be possible without the resurrection. The resurrection means we can know the presence of God here today, right now. And thirdly, we can know a hope in the face of death and there is a future on offer to us that is beyond our wildest dreams. So firstly, let's look at what Jesus says to his disciples when he appears to them. Luke 24, 46 and 47. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the, for, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus tells his disciples that what has happened to him, his suffering and his death on the cross, and then his resurrection after three days, means that forgiveness from God can be preached to everyone, everywhere. Do you remember the story that we started with? The, Valge the story of Valjean the thief who lies to try and get away with a crime and the priest who forgives him? If I asked you which character you would prefer to be in the story... Which one would you want to be? Do you want to be the, the gracious and forgiving priest or the selfish, lying thief, Valjean? <laughs> I think everyone would go for being the priest. I, I would want to be the priest. I would want to be the, the morally good guy in the story. I want to be the hero in the story. I don't want to be the villain. I want to be the person who's got it all together, the person who's so gracious that even when he's wronged, he extends forgiveness and not punishment. I don't want to be the weak selfish, villainous, bad guy. The problem is, if that story 
was the story of my life. And that was a scene from my life. I wouldn't be the priest in the scene. I would be Valjean. And if that story was your life story, you would be Valjean as well. Now, you might be thinking, hang on a minute. I've never stolen anything, let alone from a member of the clergy. How dare you say that about me? I am not the bad guy. The problem is, is our way of, of thinking to try and show that we are a good person, we're one of the good guys in the world, is we compare ourselves to everybody else in the world around us. We have like an internal league table, and there are people who are worse than us, and there are people who are better than us, and we're, we're in the middle, we're the average, but we're the good guy. So there's some people who are worse, and there's some people who are super holy and better. Now, without wanting to sound rude, and I apologize if it comes across as rude, this is a little bit like a group of giant squids vying against one another for first place in a beauty pageant. They can compare as much as they like, but there's never gonna be one of them that's considered beautiful. We can't determine if we're one of the good guys or not by comparing ourselves to others because everyone is flawed. The one with whom we will be compared to is God. And in light of his perfection, we all come up short. It's just as Tom said in his testimony. If we came face to face with God and our lives were laid before him, he would see all of our mistakes and all of our imperfections and the arguments with people that we wish hadn't happened and the things that we did that hurt the people that we love and the secrets that we have never told anyone because we are so ashamed of. And he would also see that we've chosen to reject him and we've chosen to live lives, our lives, with us at the center rather than him. We would be like Valjean caught red-handed and brought before the person that we had wronged. And the thing is, there should be a punishment that falls on us at that point. And the punishment should be a separation from God for an eternity. That, that's the punishment that's due, of, due us for our rejection of God and our failure to meet his standards. But the amazing news, the amazing news, the amazing news of Jesus is that on the cross, he takes that punishment on our behalf so that forgiveness can now be extended towards us. He dies in our place and he is separated from God so that we can be forgiven and reconciled to him and brought into a relationship with him. We can be offered forgiveness by the person we've wronged, just like the priest offered forgiveness to Valjean. The resurrection proclaims that Jesus has dealt with my sin and forgiveness is now on offer to me. The resurrection proclaims that all people across the whole earth, regardless of their past, regardless of your past, can turn and be forgiven and come into a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. The resurrection means if you don't know Jesus today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you wouldn't say you followed Jesus, you don't need to do the guiding of the old lady across the road and the giving to charity. You just need to turn around and see that God is the one who's running after you with arms wide open saying, I want to forgive you. Would you turn? Would you repent? And would you come back to me? Do we accept his forgiveness or do we ignore him? The first way the resurrection can transform us is because our sin has been paid for. God is offering us forgiveness and our relationship with God can be restored. But secondly, it's not, it's not just 
It's not just that we're forgiven and can be reconciled to God as though that weren't enough. But we can know the presence of Jesus, the presence of God right here, right now. And the thing is, it's the relationship that every single person is longing for and craving for because it's a relationship with a person who loves you so much that he is willing to die for you. Again, you, you heard that in Tom's story. Jesus isn't just Tom's savior, but he's Tom's best friend. He's Tom's closest companion. He's Tom's best big brother. He's the one who sticks closer than anyone else. And nowhere is that felt as much and as often as when life is gritty and painful and messy and dirty. Because Jesus doesn't just draw close in those times. Jesus knows those times and he can comfort in those times. Because if you're here today and you're suffering from physical pain in your body, Jesus is the one who truly can comfort you and know what that is like because he was whipped and tortured before being nailed to a plank of wood to suffocate to death in the blazing heat. If you're here today and you've been rejected by people close to you or abused by people that you thought you could trust, Jesus can empathize with you fully because he knows exactly what that is like because the guys that he invested in and loved for three years of his life turned their back on him and ran when things got a little bit tough. And if you're here today and you just feel far from God, you feel like he's distant, you don't feel like he's close to you, Jesus understands that as well. And he knows what that feels like because on the cross he was separated from his heavenly father. The resurrection means we can know the presence of Jesus today. But it also means Jesus can comfort us fully in our time of struggle and suffering because he fully knows the extent of suffering in the world. This is not a distant God, but this is a God, the only God in world religion who came to earth as a man and knows what it's like to live and suffer in a broken world. The second way the resurrection transforms us is that Jesus is alive today. We said it earlier, he is risen. We can know his presence and he can comfort us fully in our time of suffering. And lastly, there's one more crucial way that the resurrection transforms our lives. We've kind of looked at the past with our sins being forgiven, we've looked at the present of Jesus is here now to comfort us. But there's one certainty in all of our lives. There's one thing, 100% guarantee that we will all face. And that's one day we are going to die. And there's literally nothing you can do to change that. How do you feel about that? Maybe you just don't think about it. Maybe you're like, I know it's going to happen, but I, that's so morbid. I don't want to think about that. I'm just going to try and avoid thinking about it. Or maybe it, you do think about it a lot and it's quite a fearful thought. If you look around at our Western culture, it's obsessed with trying to delay and avoid the inevitability of death. Every magazine has a diet or an exercise plan that will make you thinner and fitter than ever, as though you could ward off death and old age. If you go into shops now, there's so many anti-aging creams with slogans like, turn back the clock, turn back time, or little quotes from somebody going, I used this cream and now I feel 10 years younger. But they're not. They're the same age. I spoke to a friend of mine who is a, an A&E doctor. His job is to save lives. He's like got one of the coolest jobs in the world. And I asked him, is your job satisfying? And his response was fascinating because he said, my job is one of the few that has a 100% failure rate. 
I'm meant to save lives, but the truth is everybody dies. He's a cheerful guy. <laughs> Can you imagine that if he's your doctor? I'll save your life, but you're going to die one day. The truth, the truth is no medicine, no plastic surgery, no diet, no exercise plan can change the fact that death is coming to all of us. And tragically, painfully, it often gives very little warning or sometimes no warning at all. And the truth is there's no hope that our world can offer in the face of death. There's nothing our world, there's no answer our world has. But if Jesus has risen from the dead, then death wasn't the end for Jesus. He overcame it and he succeeded where our medicine, our diets, and our surgeries will all fail. And if death wasn't the end for Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it doesn't have to be the end for you either. There can be a hope that we can hold on to in the face of death. And there's one more amazing thing. If you know Jesus, there is a promise of an amazing future. The resurrection tells us that Jesus is alive and that one day he's going to come again and wrap up the whole of history. He's going to bring in a new future, a new heavens, and a new earth. The very last book of the Bible is a book called Revelation. And the penultimate chapter, Revelation 21, describes what this scene is going to be like. And it's a disciple called John who sees this vision and he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Totally connected, intimate relationship. The thing we know in part now, we will know fully then. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. No separation will be felt between us and God on that day. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. What a picture. One day, no more weeping, no more mourning, no more brokenness, no more pain, no more poverty, no more famine, no more fear, no more depression, and no end to that future. The third way that the resurrection transforms our lives is it gives us hope in the face of death, and then it gives us this promise of an incredible future. There are days when I try and think what the future will look like, and I know that my best imagination pales in comparison to how good that future is going to be. This is why the resurrection is the most momentous event that has ever happened, and it is the one that can completely transform our entire lives. If this is the first time you've heard the story, the invitation that is put out there is to put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus in what he did for you on the cross. Put your faith that he took the punishment so that you could have a relationship with God and be forgiven. The invitation is to turn and see that God has his arms wide open. And he's saying, forgiveness is on offer if you would repent and come back to me. And not just forgiveness, but a relationship with the person you have always longed for, being closer than any other person can be in your good times and in your bad times. And then a promise of an incredible future. And if you've heard this story many, many times, my prayer for you guys is that the beauty of what Jesus has done would stir your heart afresh. I pray that you would walk in the knowledge that you are forgiven. The, the cross and the resurrection is past tense. It's done. Your forgiveness is paid for. There's no point feeling guilty about it. 
Enjoy the presence of God now. I pray that you would walk in step with Jesus, filled with power and joy at the knowledge that he is with us right now. And regardless of what you're going through and what you've done this week and how you feel this week, Jesus was there every single step of the way. And the news of the resurrection is that there is this beautiful future. It's a future I am looking forward to. It's a future that I want the whole world to be a part of and enjoy. My final question to end with would be, who do you know that needs to know this truth and this invitation to this incredible future? Who can you invite in to this wonderful life where the resurrection changes everything about our lives? Amen. Could you pray with me? It'd be great if you could. If you feel comfortable, just close your eyes, bow your heads. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for what you did on the cross. We thank you for your death and your resurrection. We thank you that your death means that our sin has been paid for and your resurrection proves that God accepted that sacrifice. Lord, I thank you for the transformation that can bring to our lives today. I pray, Lord, for anybody in the room today who wouldn't call themselves a Christian, that you would, rele- you would reveal your love and forgiveness to them. If you're not a Christian in the room today, why not just ask God in this moment to reveal his, his kindness, his gentleness, and his forgiveness to you? And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us all with the truth that we are forgiven, that you are here with us, and we look forward to an amazing future with you, and we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.